Hi, I'm Melissa Corkum. I blog at our family website, www.thecorkums.com, which we affectionately call The Corkboard. This is The Uncorked Podcast, conversations with everyday extraordinary people, people who have conquered, people making a difference in their worlds, brave and beautiful people, but people who in the end are just like you and me. If there's one thing I've learned over the past 10 years, it's about how much I didn't know that I didn't know and how much I still don't know. Our experiences and adoption and loving kids who have aged out of the foster care system, living in the country but owning a coffee shop in the city, and just traveling internationally have so greatly expanded our horizons and shifted our paradigms, and hopefully we're better humans for it. The one common theme through all of those experiences, though, was just listening to people's stories. Patty Dye once said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So pull up a chair and an open mind and meet another one of my everyday extraordinary friends. Welcome to episode 23 of the Uncorked podcast. This week, I welcome my BFF Trisha back to the show, and this time she brought her fairy godmother, Aunt Tess. So the good news is, is that somehow we managed to not get interrupted once, despite the fact that there were at least six other people around, including the two little boys, and we were smack in the middle of my living room. The bad news is that I didn't choose the correct mic input on my recording software. So I did my best to amplify the audio and clean it up because we talk about some really important issues, like whether or not Santa's workshop is underground or above ground in the North Pole. No, but seriously, we had a passionate yet civil conversation about things like poverty solutions and minimum wage. Regardless of which side you agree with, I just want to point out that at the end of the day, we all have huge hearts and just want to help people. We just disagree about what is the best and most effective way to do that. So here's my conversation with Trisha Anderson and Tess Veloso. Trisha and Aunt Tess, welcome to the podcast. Why are you pointing the microphone away from me? Because your voice is very familiar. This is Aunt Tess, my fairy godmother, Tess Veloso. I'm very happy to be here with Trisha and Veloso. She is one of those angels on earth who you feel, when you're in her presence, you just like feel like a better person, like maybe it's airborne. I think it is right now. How do you feel? Oh, 
I drove everybody home, so. <laughs> I was, so that's I was why she was friends with you. Probably. So we've uncovered the mystery now. <laughs> After all these years. That's what I am for everyone. One time. Uh, why do you think I'm friends with you? Second <laughs> One time after one of our dining out adventures at Tia Pepe's Sleep, I dropped your mom off. <laughs> the next day she told us your dad said he could tell every time he went out because you could smell garlic on your mother's breath. Garlic. It was the garlic. <laughs> garlic. Garlic. Alright, so Aunt Tess is amazing. And while we were planning for this, not planning, like emailing this morning about it, I heard this ridiculous thing that Aunt Tess was the last unaccompanied minor to fly out of Philippines or on a transatlantic flight. Two years old. Two years old. Who listening would send their two year old? Unaccompanied on a, how many hours? Like, oh my gosh, then it was no, it was like, it took three days. Oh, three days? It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't like traveling now. You can get there, well, it's 24 and 30 hours now. But oh my god, like, did you have to like, 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 traipse across the plank onto the ship or something? <laughs> no. But the, there weren't like all these jet planes that they have now, these big planes. But you go up and over for like the northern Asian we flew from D.C. to Tokyo. We went up across over Chicago and over the North Pole. And right. then dropped down to Tokyo. Did you see Sonia? He was busy in his workshop, which I always assumed was underground and it was legal. So, no. Underground? Underground? Don't you think Santa's workshop's underground? It would be cold if it was above ground. I mean, because of course, like a 50, like, isn't it like 50 degrees no matter where you are, you get deep into the, like, earth? So, like a mantle? I don't know. Noah asked, Noah asked me that question yesterday. How deep does the ground go? And <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Let me write a little picture of layers for you, because I don't, there's magma somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, and that's really only for the core, because then you go the other way, then you're really talking about the ground on the other side of the Right, earth, and it's like, so it goes that out. all the way through, and I was like, well, technically we hit the other, like, the other ground. Right, the other ground from the other people. From the other side. side. That confusing. Okay, so you were born in the Philippines, mm-hmm. and why <clears throat> on God's green earth were you flying unaccompanied at the age of two? Well, my mom married... Uh, Filipino, so we were. I was born in the Philippines. We got married and were there, and I was got born. Was born, and then at some point, they had to come to the United States for medical treatment, and I was. They didn't think they would be there, be here, very long. So they left me with the family, which is not uncommon with Filipinos. And then they decided they were going to stay here longer, and they decided they wanted me to come, so they put me on a plane. I don't know what the thought process was. <laughs> and you don't have that memory But I don't recommend it. No, I don't. And I don't recommend it. But there's a picture. There was a picture in the Washington Post, I believe, because it's supposed to be D.C., and of the stewardess handing me to my mother from the plane. They didn't have all the, those um, airs. What do you call them? Those. Yes, my yeah, things. I mean, you had to go in the car, but they came down outside. Oh, yeah. So my mother was reaching up at the stairs at the top, and the stewardess was handing me through the door, and I was like scared to death. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. 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 So the reason they stopped me is because it's too much responsibility. And, I mean, I was every time, I mean, the flight crew changed, and then there was nobody the same, and then passengers got on and off, and oh it wasn't a very good experience. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Did they change the law because of you? That's what I want. I wanted to know if there was some like groundbreaking story, like something. Well, I feel like they're never doing that again. Someone please change the rules. Right. Well, I think the airline stopped doing it because it was just what? too much responsibility. Why would you? Well, I wonder how often it happened before it became a rule. Right. It may not have happened before. I mean, they you could do the older older kids, but that but being that young, it's way too young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even now, in fact. I have a friend who has a big family, and there's rules about unaccompanied minors, and an adult can only accompany, quote-unquote, a certain number of minors. And so they actually had trouble flying as a family because they had more minors between the two of them than the airline allowed. 
Wow. And there was no exception for like blood relations. I feel like there should be some kind of special exception, like if it's like a a family, like a immediate family. family. Yeah. And I and some of the kids were like, like I mean, some of the kids were like eleven, twelve, thirteen. So you've adopted these babies. I mean, I thought this group might take I will say that because I've been parenting a child for so long, I have found random but pleasurable practitioners that are very family oriented and like have great customer service and where they like really know you, like know your name, like ask about your family. And just the other day I realized like how big of a deal that was because I take Ty like to the dentist and he also goes to the orthodontist there so they know us like multiple times over. But like, hi, so great to see you. And I have no qualms about leaving him alone in the waiting room mm-hmm. because they're like happy to look after him. Right. Where you feel like your children are welcome and you feel like you don't have to like shush them or, you know, hide them in the corner, leave them at home. Um, so, Antos, what do you do now? I uh, get to communications for Mercy High School, which is a private girls' high school. Phenomenal girls' high school. It is. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. And they have a theater program that's. That's not, is it, it's not directly related to the school district. No, they're, they're the in residence there. Yeah, they just use okay, the stage. Yeah. Use the stage um, which is where you can go see Trisha on stage. Yes, and Shrek. And, and, other, yeah. you know, and, and many more talented people who you actually want to see on stage. They're, it's really good. It's going to be really interesting. In Shrek the Musical. And it opens on March 10th and it runs for three weekends. And see. Especially and when I know who's on stage. And it's super affordable and it's really kid friendly and. It's really because they do all these extra things like before the performance, some of the characters will walk through in costume and we talk to the kids. Yeah, there's face painting, there's face painting, painting and coloring and, 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 photos and, yeah. and yeah. yeah. It's a great it's a great event for the kids. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Um, so why did we have a fishing day? Why did we get out of social? Yeah. Well, I decided I hadn't lived in the Philippines. I was four. When I came here for good, I was four, and I hadn't really got to know my father's side of the family very well, so I decided to go there and live for a couple of years. So I enrolled in graduate school in the Philippines thinking I needed to do something with my time while I was in Europe. So I left social work and went to the Philippines to spend time with my family. I was in graduate school for um, a master's in social work, and then I got sick. And, so, and then so I was out for a semester, and then I decided I didn't want to do social work anymore. So I just bummed around with my family for a year and a half, came back, and decided I didn't want to do social work. Really difficult. Well, and you don't get a lot of support. Right, know, and the workload is so reasonable. What was your, what did you do when you were in social work? Did you, because I mean, there's lots of, I mean, I always associate with adoption, obviously, because we have a lot of that in our family, but I know that there's a lot of other ways. Well, um, I was in two areas. The first area I was in was, I don't know what the number was called, it was really family services, so you did all kinds of things. You worked with <laughs> unwed mothers, we don't even know if that's a term anymore. You investigated some child neglect cases. Um, you worked just with families in crisis, um, teenagers and things, and, and you worked with a lot, a lot of my cases with foster children. Then from there, after after worked there a few years, I went into emergency services, which is your intake. So I would see a, a client would come in with an emergency situation, and I would try to figure out what would help them, if I could help them, or I could pass them on to a long-term worker. So that's like, yeah. It sounds exhausting just thinking about it. I can imagine doing it. We had to make all the, we had to make home visits, so you were always out in the car, in and out, and in people's houses. And, um, but... I, learned, I mean, I learned more from the people than I think I could ever have given them, so. Isn't that fascinating? I feel like I just was talking to someone about this. When you set out to kind of help a population of people, a lot of times you come away with this, like, reverse feeling like, oh, wait, I didn't know I needed to be helped. Or, I, you know, they helped me in a way that I never would have done. Well, I think it was important, and I think your mom would agree with Patricia, that the insights you get with working with people I mean, really, because you have to listen, you have to learn to listen to them and go into all kinds of situations and think on your feet. You know, sometimes people are angry with you, and sometimes they're really upset. Sometimes people need to be hospitalized for a variety of reasons. You're in court a lot, so you have to learn a way 
you have to be able to stay calm and be able to analyze what's going on and then make a decision about what you, you can or can't do. So it's a good, it was a good learning, learning ground for me. And when I would go on job interviews later on in life, I, I first I begin to think, well, that's not relevant to this job. But then when I would think about what we had to learn and what we had to do, it's totally relevant because you have to learn to listen to people, you have to learn to adapt yourself to situations, you have to figure out, you have to make decisions sometimes right on the spot without a lot of support. Um, you have to go back sometimes and, and um, defend your decision. Um, sometimes you need a lot of support from your supervisor. Sometimes you've got a lot of support from your supervisor. You never know what the future is going to be. You never know what you're going to happen when you walk into the house or, or all those kinds of things. So in that way, it was really a good learning, I think, for the rest of my life. But I didn't realize it at the time because you're so focused on you know, having enough food or, or trying to get this job and are the kids okay and this kid's failing out of school or they're not going to school or is the foster parent being good or yes, it, it, this, does this kid need to move into foster care from their parents, which is a really heart-wrenching decision. Is there a paradigm that you had about the world that you feel like changed because of the people that you got to know through that job? Well, I think realizing that there are no, there are no quick fixes for anybody. Sometimes I thought, these people just need more money. They don't really need me. Because money makes things easier. It's not, I'm not saying that money is the be all and end of all, but when you're working at some, I'll give you an example. I was working really hard with this mother and she had two sons. And she had some mental problems, and uh, she's on assistance. And I thought, okay, if I can help her figure out how to manage her budget and her household, all that doesn't work for her. And I wanted to talk to my supervisor one day about it, and she said, Tess, you know, you can work and work with that woman, that mom, but if there's not enough money, there's just not enough money. And that was a huge eye-opening event for me because I realized what I was trying to do was totally ridiculous. It was never going to work because she didn't have the resources to do what she wanted, should have been able to do. And there was not much I could do about it. She wasn't really employable because she had to stay in the system. Because she didn't. I saw her on a bus one day. She said, she said hello to me and I looked up. She got off the bus and realized that she was heading to, to um, admit herself to the hospital for um, whatever breakdown she was so it's really, you really don't always see what's going on, and you want to be able to help it. You just really find out there are real, real limits. The best you can do is, be, is give of whatever you, the person you are to them and let them know that you care about them, and sometimes that's all you can do. What about voting for legislation that would allow them to apply or well, how have about access legislation? to more resources? Well, including, well, how about like, having how somebody basic, submit a bill for that? Basic human needs like housing, food, childcare, healthcare. Yeah. Well, my experience has been too that those things are helpful, but then if there's if there's no relationship or extra skills given, because a lot of times even with the resources, there's trauma or mental illness or well, that's it's true. so co complex it is, it that is. it's hard um like we had um we just this guy at the coffee shop who would come in and do odd jobs and we would put him under the table which we didn't really know what to do but he was you know out selling water at the stadium and all these things just to kind of make ends meet but he was also really happy with a certain standard of living that most of us probably wouldn't have been okay with so at the end of the day he didn't really need a certain kind of housing or a certain kind of income or all these mm -hmm. things, but he needed the ability to kind of do his thing and he really was a great worker and he would say like, hey, can I come wash your windows or I'll help you clothes and I'll sweep and, and he was a really hard worker, but because we're such wool followers, we'd be like, Jay, we can't like, we can't give you money for that. Like if someone came in here and saw us like handing you cash over the counter, we, like there's all these employment laws and there's minimum wage, which we're not able to meet for you, and there's no contract and there's no all of these things. So in that situation, I felt really limited by things that of course were legislated to help people, but then also I felt like in his case, the legislation was a hindrance because he wanted to be able to just make 
quick cash, and he could negotiate for himself what he thought was a fair wage, and our hands were tied to help him. And eventually, because he couldn't find the odd jobs that he wanted, but he also wasn't capable of doing like standard employment where he could provide the documentation and the paperwork and all of those things, he had to resort to doing things that were illegal, you know, taking and stealing and, and doing other things to try to make his ends meet. And so it just, it didn't end, it wasn't a happy ending, like, in that short term. But I remember thinking, like, well, dude, it was just okay, like, for us on a relational basis to say, hey, I would love for you to come in and, you know, deep clean our, you know, grease trap and all of these things. And we'll, you know, we'll feed you or we'll pay you your, you know, he was staying at a hotel, which he was totally, he didn't want, like, a long-term lease, all these things. Um, I just think it's so frustrating because it's so nuanced. Um, it does, and I think that your case is unfortunately probably not the norm where you want to do good by people. I think that legislation was clearly not written for business owners like well, you. Right. It was written for business owners who want to treat their employees like bums. So I, I'm sorry that it was a, a hindrance um, for him, but I think that that kind of like minimum wage and not paying people on the paper, having to be responsible for your, um, for the people you employ as a business owner, um, is is a really important thing for people traveling who are not right. You. But I and not a lot of people I know, but it just protects so many people. And I think that he. I mean, he probably could have stood to make minimum wage for what he was doing. Maybe he wouldn't have had to be in hotels or... But but what if he was okay with being in hotels? Like, we couldn't afford to pay minimum wage as small business owners. Like, that was the frustrating thing about minimum wage is we had people that were willing to work for less because they didn't need what minimum wage was offering them, but we also couldn't afford to pay minimum wage, especially where it is now. So this was three years ago. But as it keeps inching up, like, an increase in minimum wage for really small business owners is really, really hard, especially when you have these small businesses that everyone's happy with the way things are, and then someone's forcing you to have to change something. When, like, in relationship and in smaller community, we're all, like, on the same page and we're all doing those things. So I don't know what the good answer is because I understand about the protection and, you know, and I think this comes from you know, getting to know people and then parents and kids who have come from really different living situations mm-hmm. is that I think a lot of times legislators or just, and, and maybe the general public, the upper middle class, think this is the living standard that we all should be at because that's what we want or that's what we've known our whole lives. But what I've realized is that as crazy as it seems, that there's a lower living standard that a lot of people really are legitimately content at. Well, I think there's a lot more science that goes into it than, than that. And I think that you're right. I think that that our lifestyle, like what we consider a minimum as our, our life, you know, middle to upper middle class lifestyle, what we consider a minimum is drastically different than a, a, a huge portion of the population. And I totally agree with that. But I do think that there there is there's math behind minimum wage. And I think that especially for people with families, especially for people with families to support not only maybe their nuclear family, but also, you know, their extended family or, what, you know, whatever. I mean, like, to eat a nutritious diet. I mean, something as simple as that. I mean, was, was he focused? I, I, don't, I mean, I don't even know, and this isn't even any of my business, but, like, focused on finding food or he... I don't know where you were. It wasn't exactly a food desert. I mean, there was a little bit of a food desert. It's a, it is a little bit of a food desert. I'm not it's yeah. super familiar with the area, but like you know, that adds more cost to getting eating a healthful diet and staying healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a young person. He probably was generally like pretty luckily healthy. But I also think if we think that upping minimum wage for that population, they're going to go use it on more nutritious food, is probably. I think if this country took care of people's basic needs better, for instance, medical, health insurance, health care, housing, if things were re- reasonable, I might go along with not 
worried about the minimum wage, but since that doesn't exist, there isn't any big safeguard for people. And if the person was really young, he's only got this, it sounds like, and I don't know him, but it sounds like he has this really short focus of his life. Could she anticipate being sick or not being able to work or not being able to negotiate or do those? It sounds like he's like a kind of a, I think the good word is, but he can cobble things together and he's fine. But there's going to come a time that he can't do that. So even though the laws aren't perfect, I think they have to be there for some protection because otherwise people, he wants to live like that, fine. But there are other people who don't want to live like that and they need the protection from these, from employers. So it, it, it's, it's complicated, but part of it is driven, part of the problem is driven by this country expects people to pull out themselves up by the bootstraps and they don't, but they don't, so they, so they expect, they think people don't need help or shouldn't have help. When you look at all the other countries, almost all these other, so many other countries in the world where they take care of their population and they're fine and they're healthier, they're happier. This country is, just doesn't treat its citizens very well. I don't, I don't believe because it's just such poor citizens. It's poor citizens, and it, it's this inherited emphasis on self um, uh, independence and doing this all by yourself. And it, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. There's no push to really be a community in that kind of. Sense. I think that's a huge key. Is that community and that relationship? And I don't know if it's necessarily a function of government or a function of something else, but I think that is the biggest like underlying factor for all of those things. And I think, you know, for you know, this guy that we knew, like what you're saying, that's exactly like he couldn't he wasn't thinking ahead in some ways he couldn't think ahead. But that's like that executive functioning skill. And so there's a part of me that like instead of helping him have more money wants to like think about well how do we help the people that are struggling in those ways like you know have healthier you know have more stable mental health have developmental gaps filled increase executive functioning and I think you're totally right one of the huge issues in our country is this like independent you know the, the suburbs like moving out of our closed city environments to where we have our own houses and our own nuclear families that live together and fences. Yeah, fences in our neighborhoods and, you know, focusing more on the way HOAs. HOAs is only getting started on how our <laughs> houses look versus like what we're doing in them yeah, with the people right, right. and how your lawns look. Oh my gosh. And and even like, you know, just transportation wise, like the fact that we are able to live away from our families. Like in a lot of other countries and and in decades and centuries earlier, we land we grew where we were planted, kind of. For the record, I am not able to move away from my house. Just <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't put the we in the yeah. But we do. We we get job we go to college states away and we get jobs and we mm-hmm. settle down. And so I mean you were smart enough to come back to be like to do that, go away, be hours away, but then well, I had to get mad. You had to get a husband, a father for your children, right? No, definitely. Um, but and I, I think, think your kids are all benefiting from that. Oh, oh my god, you know, right? Unbelievable. Yes. Right? I don't mean in terms of just convenience for you. I mean in terms of the relationship they're advancing. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It, well it, and not and not only my parents who we live yes. a mile from, but also Matt's parents who yes. make a concerted effort and have enough resources to travel up to us travel down to them yeah. when we can, they accommodate us right. incredibly and but also because you're open to that because you're not a lot of not every family is open to being equal within in law. So I really admire what you met do because you're on the road a lot with those kids because of Yeah. That. Well, yeah, and less since we've been in school now that we're well, school yeah, age, sorry, but still, yeah, but still. But uh, but yeah. they you know, they've come up to us they have the resources to come up to us and it's well, I mean, but you're right that we can live so far like away. You can live so far away because I know. I mean, clearly we've created the situation, and I don't think we were intentional about it. I don't think we understood the benefits of it when we did it. So ten years ago, we bought a house with my parents, and so they live in an in-law apartment, you know, right across the kitchen. And then you know, my brother has lived here in the past, and now my sister lives here with 
for fun. So we're definitely practicing this like communal living thing, and we kind of fell into it. It wasn't really in the plan. We didn't really do that. But when I talk to other families who are struggling, a lot of times it's, I don't have support, and my parents live eight states away. Mm-hmm. Or and so I mean I think there's I think we can have support without having our extended family right there because there's so many other ways to have community. But that's like that kind of giving, like that you know kind of natural. And so I think that whether it's your extended family or you know a church community or a neighborhood association that you're really tight with or another you know whatever it is, however you build that community, I think that encouraging other people to do that and having the mental health capacity to be in relationship in community and, and that resource, mostly, and the resources. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think resources play less when you have those rich relationships because like. When, when James was here, he didn't have a ton of resources. The community allowed you to share your resources better. Mm-hmm. So, but he had resources because you had I was going to say, he yeah. had your resources. Right. Which allowed him to... Which would allow him to be successful for the time that he was here for forever. But, um, but I think if we had just thrown money at him instead of holding him into the community of our home and mm-hmm. letting him use the resources right. through us, the outcome would have been drastic. Sure, definitely. So I think there's a huge, like, I think that community part with the, like, matched with the resources has been really matters. Well, and part of that community, it depends on the community, because he would have found himself, ostensibly, in a completely different community if he had just thrown money at him, right? He right. He found yeah. a community, but it's Maybe, maybe, maybe not, because people don't find community. Well, the kind of community that's really helpful. That's what I mean. Like yeah. a like a like a not helpful community yeah. of maybe people who weren't law abiding or whatever. And I'm you know I, I realize I'm doing all kinds of stereotyping and negative association, and which is not fair. Yeah, I, but, I, mean, I, but I also think not completely unrealistic, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is exactly why you brought him here instead of um, instead of throwing money at him. And I think that again, your your resources. I mean, there were resources, and he came to a community because of your resources, and then he was able to assimilate this community. Because of, uh, but not legal. because someone legislated that it had to happen. No, but if someone right, but I think that legislation that because clearly we're not all able to treat each other as humans. It's not innate in everyone to care about every other human as human beings, and so I think that's the root of this legislation. At least the people who who wrote it and support it say, well, if you aren't going to automatically care about these people as humans and, and pay them enough to live and provide them health care and then we're gonna force you to which is unfortunate, sure. Think that you can legislate on all these people? No, but I think that you can at least legislate people not crapping on other people. Like yeah. help. I guess my idea like it is, helps. Yeah. I, I, sometimes yeah. I think the legislation happens because people don't feel responsibility to each other. Not everybody, but overall mm-hmm. and they're trying to make I think it's a way to try to make things more equal. That's a really good word, but the things are more spread equally. Well, trying to give opportunities to everyone. Right. Well and so some people would argue that it shouldn't be equal because that would be very boring. And also unfair. Yes. People would argue that, yes. Very successful people would argue that because they've done this and so that person should be able to do the same thing. Or you that person doesn't maybe have the the same resources, or they came from a different situation. I mean, I, I remember working with uh, a young woman who was a social worker, and this is another thing I learned, and she had a couple kids, a young woman, and on social services, and really, things weren't really great. It was a good place. I mean, she lived with her sister, but it was just chaotic. And one day, I just sat down and said, look, you know, you got to get a job. I went through this whole thing about getting a job, it's important, blah, 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 blah. Well, she got a job. She got a job at one of the drugstores. I was so happy. I went back to see her the next month, and she didn't have a job anymore. She didn't know how to have a job. She had never had a role model. She didn't know how to keep a job yeah. because she didn't see it in her family. She didn't know how to do it, and um, I didn't realize it. So then she went right back in the same situation with you know now with two kids, and I mean, how do you how can you break out of that? I, mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's you have to have resources if you want to go to training and try to think about training. Other, but then who's going to go after the kids? Who's, you know, all those things. It's, it's very complicated. It was a real... And it's so easy to make a judgment about somebody. It's so easy to make a judgment. Because we say, like, 
you know, we I think we a lot of times in those situations when they they lose the job and if someone's not caring enough like you were to kind of tease that out and be like, okay, so what happened? Like you had a job and now you don't have a job. Like I think a lot of times we look at people and like, why can't they just keep a job? You know, why, they they have, why did you have to lose your job? Right? Like you had this opportunity, no one's going to give you an opportunity again. When there's this really, I mean, it's even a parenting principle that we teach a lot. Like if your kids are misbehaving or saying that they're or they're refusing to do something, a lot of times we look at it as a like disobedience. Like a, mm-hmm. I, I won't do it. I'm putting my foot down, and you told me to do something, and I'm not going to do it. But a lot of times, if we flip it around and think, well, maybe there's a can't hidden somewhere in there, then we do so much better. And I think the same mm-hmm. thing is true. Like just like you were saying, like I had no idea she actually couldn't, mm-hmm. and that was of no fault of her own. It's just like cyclical, generational, the community thing. It's crazy. Yeah, but all of us middle class white people would be like, well, mm. would you say that? Not one of us is white here. All middle <laughs> class, but none of us are white. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was a um, there was a really interesting post that, article that I read about pulling your the whole pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and talking about how when there are no boots, mm-hmm. right. you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And there was it showed these two kids started you know as babies and one started with fantastic oh, cleaning, right? One started yeah. with fantastic cleaning of hair, and yeah. the other went to the pet could, could take off work to go to the doctor every month and take could afford cleaning out vitamins and could, you know and had to whatever and then. There's the, the less pregnant mother in poverty who had to work six jobs and got no paid leave and couldn't breastfeed her baby because she had to go back to work the day after she gave birth. And, you know, the other one who took, you know, three years off because her husband could support the family and whatever. And it goes through in this, you know, the first child gets good breakfast every morning before he goes to school. And the second one, you know, gets one meal a day to get the, you know, the free lunch um, at school. And then the other one, you know, has all these contracts to get into university. And the other one, you know, would like to go to college, but her parents got sick. So then she had to drop out of high school and work so that they could afford to, you know, get the health care that parents need. If she had to raise her younger siblings, she gets stuck in this minimum wage job for the rest of her life as the other one goes to college. So, and it's not for the first, for the other one not working as hard or being mm-hmm. as smart or... It has very little to do um, with that and a lot to do with the circumstances that you're born into. And I think some of the legislation is to try and, like it has said, to try and even that out at least a little bit. I mean, when you see it like that about the difference between where they started and where they can go from there. Um, but historically, do you think, because legislation definitely is better than it was, say, 50 years ago in that sense. Like, there was a point in our history when we didn't have social welfare as part of our legislation mm-hmm. at all. It's going toward that again. Right. I mean, I know. Well, anyway. but I mean, historically, yeah, it didn't yeah. always exist in right. our country. Have we seen statistically, as even though the legislation isn't anywhere near where some of us would like to see it, mm-hmm. as we've seen it improve, are we seeing anywhere near an improvement in some of the statistics in terms of, like, how many people are living below or at the poverty line and unemployment? And, like, does there seem to be a correlation between those things, or is there something else that we're, that change, starts to change the tide? Because in some ways, I think it's getting worse. Like, we're talking about this, a bigger separation mm-hmm. between, between the, the classes. classes. Why? What's that all about? Like, well, you know, it'll trickle down eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's much more nuanced than we can get into in an hour-long podcast. But I, I do think it has to do with the separation of people and the separation of community, which is one reason we discussed why we're even on a podcast together is that we love each other because we are in a community. We are in a community. And we're face-to-face, no social media, no screen time. But we also are part of very different communities, but we think that doesn't mean that our little slice of Venn diagram can't hang out together for a month. We fill those hearts. That's why we're friends. We fill those hearts and it's really sad. Like hearts and kimbap. That's what our little slice of Venn diagram would be. That's what we should have done on election night last year, is sit around and eat food and sit together. Oh my god, that would have been great, except that would have been crying. It's like, yeah. you, you know you can't taste as much as you can. I didn't know that. Well, because you're... Uh, I have, I've never tried to eat more. I'm Me neither, maybe. Because like, you <laughs> crying. I know, like 80% of your food tastes the only thing Trisha smells. Trisha's eating like this. I don't know that I've ever technically been eating while I've been crying, but I imagine because your nose gets stuffed up and then you can't smell and the taste is just 
maybe I can eat spicy food too. Because I make a terrible Korean when it comes to Korean food because I don't like the spicy stuff. Uh, I think it's uncommon though. Uh, maybe if I had been Asian. But we were. Like, we went to Korean school. We were not raised eating kimchi. I was raised eating kimchi. We went to Pure Loaf. I didn't start going to Pure Loaf until we were like in middle school. Oh no, we went to Pure Loaf. I didn't. And the your Korean. Mom was real, your parents were really adamant about if Koreans not to eat Korean. We only ate Korean. Korean. And the Korean school of which you speak was Saturdays during the school year for a whole two years of our life. Yeah, but we still were exposed to food. <coughs> Think about the other lunches. They were awesome. I wasn't eating other people's lunches there. You ate those little fish and puppy eyes in them. We did eat this. <laughs> and that's what we called them. The See? That's what they were. Fish yeah, those little fried fish with the eyes still in them. Yeah, yeah, our friends would bring our friends. People would be like, those are anchovies. I'm like, they weren't, though. They're not, they weren't anchovies. They were smaller. No. And they were crunchy. They were anchovies. They were, are they teeny tiny? Everything is smaller in Korea. Is that a thing? I feel like everything's bigger in Texas? I didn't know. Well, the Philippines are great. They're called Dili. They're called D-I-L-I. Dili. And they're sardines? They're a kind of sardines? I thought they're anchovies. Anchovies are different from sardines. I'm sorry, not sardines. Anchovies. I don't know what the Korean store doesn't say anchovies. I don't know it's Korea. No, it's in the H-mark. Oh, it's in Korea. No, go look in the Filipino section. It's English. She might have benefited, she probably would have benefited from having, like, really, what's the basic job 
hospitals. Like if somebody gets angry at you, doesn't mean you don't go back to work the next day or show up for work at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, not 9.30. Things like that that we take for granted because I saw my mother work her whole life. Mm-hmm. Go to work the same day, come home, work at whatever it is. Yeah. I saw all that. Well, these, a lot of people don't have not seen that, so they don't know how to, they want it. They want the same thing, but they don't know how to be that for themselves. So I, I, I'm part of it. It's not just the money, but it's the type of help that people need that I think they're not getting. So let me just inject somebody else. The number of people, we, so, we get so worried about people on welfare who may or may not deserve it. What about all the people who cheat on their income taxes? It's much more money. Yeah. It's much more money that's being defrauded, that's being defrauded. But because these are people who, I don't know, people think they, they're not doing all they can for themselves, they're being lazy, they just want to work the system. And there are some people like that, but very small minority. But it's got the stigma that tax evasion or tax fraud doesn't have. Yeah, no, no. You get a visceral, even have a, a visceral response to, if you look at things, okay, tax fraud, welfare, welfare fraud. fraud. Mm-hmm. The same thing. Well, I think. Except the rich people, I mean, they're getting richer and people aren't getting any more. Well, that's a lot more money than well, yeah, the taxpayers absolutely. are being cheated out of yeah. with tax evasion. Than, yeah. Right. But well, I guess, I guess, like, I guess maybe there's a paradigm difference there. Like, do we see a situation as the leg up where it should be temporary for people in these situations where they don't? I think that what you're talking about, Tess, you know, if someone has. A mental illness or a disability, like there are situations where you get on assistance knowing that you are going to need it long term because you don't have the skills or the ability to do something. But I think I was thinking more like there's this like assistance where you have, you know, like you were talking about um, someone who's trying to go to college, but then all of a sudden their parents are sick, you know, like you just have all these balls to juggle and, and it's not that, and in that case, I feel like you shouldn't necessarily need and you don't even want because again there's some there's pride and, and proudness in being able to like do a good day's work. Like we always feel better, I think, yeah. about working for what we're getting if we can than just get you know, getting free resources or whatever. Like I feel like there's an innate part of us that kind of wants to like you know not be great or do nothing to maintain Well no, but assistance. but so but I guess I'm saying like is there a difference between assistance that's kind of meant to be temporary and are when it's meant to be temporary in a situation where for all other equal things people should be able to then work their way out of it are we providing them um, and again it goes back to it's not just monetary are we providing them the resources like the trainings that they can use it as a temporary step towards being able to have more control even just more control over you know you know where they're last feeling it because assistance has you know it's fixed right so whereas like if you're having a job or being an entrepreneur or something you know then you're you have these wide horizons and you have a chance to kind of you have the resources to right i I mean for you and me yes absolutely right but does that assistance like is that a temporary thing that some people need versus like like a long-term disability where so from the standpoint of Let's make sure that all of our humans in our country have enough to eat, have a place to live, and have access, and aren't sick, and don't die. Why does that matter? Well, I think it matters in a grander economic standpoint, which of course we don't have time to get into. But I think, and because we're looking at a situation where we're, we don't always have the money that we want to provide to these people to assist them, is the better way to be able to make it more temporary so they can fold back into the economy. I mean, it goes back to the economics of it, which again, I'm not an expert in, but in terms of an economy, because even if I wanted to be able to give, you know, if people you know wanted to have all of those things provided in a way that was different from those of us who have well resource different means, the, the money isn't there. Well, so in that case, we'll go back to Antessa's example of like you can hold one millionaire responsible for tax evasion for three years and fund the entire assist, you know, SNAP for the entire country for a decade. Really? 
but really though, like, I mean, I don't know. Again, I haven't looked at all the nuances and the numbers, but I'm, it's just, I'm just asking myself. Yeah, I think a lot of this also goes back to the lack of community. Because, of, you know, when you think about, like, a long time ago, a way I'm assuming things, like in a really small town, you have people who, you know, like your friend, like the guy at King's Place Coffee Shop, and they could do those odd jobs. And, mm-hmm. the, and the, the, the group of the people who live there would say, well, he's that person in there, we help him. And there's no stigma to it. Mm-hmm. But he would still be taken care of. But here, it's like you have to be on your own. There's no, there's not a sense of community of trying to help people. I can give you an example of Marion House, mm-hmm. a very successful program for women. Women who come through the, through the um, uh, legal system, most of them have been are drug addicts, most of them have children. They get referred to Marion House, and it's a residential program. They live there, not with their children, they live there in this structured environment where people have gone with the, with the program, and they end up having support for people who understand what yeah. it's been like, and they learn all these things that they didn't learn as children or in another family. They learn all these things. They're able. Their success rate is huge. We've yeah. had people women go on to get PhDs. So the community is like I think we all we, we forget how important that is. The, the real community yeah. where they really care about. So. I mean, I, I, I heard of another program, too, where women would get together so they could babysit for their other people's children and people would go out to work. So it, it worked yeah, because they, they knew they could meet each other's needs in a different kind of way and it worked. And they weren't the richest people, but they made their families work like that, together like that. And um, because, because they were part of the community, they felt supported. Um, there were res- not a lot of resources, but there were resources there. There were women that could say, I tried that, don't do that, or try this, get up, you got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, we didn't have jobs yet, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. All those things that they weren't able to learn in a family, or maybe they did and it went out the window with addiction, who knows. But those, those kinds of programs are so successful because of the community, because they know people cared about them, and they know knew that people would help them, and they didn't have to feel bad about it. Well, it's interesting you say that because you talk about you talk about two things. You talk about childcare, and then I also thought like, oh, we'll have your kids for dinner. Like, I'll mm-hmm. feed your kids dinner tonight, and then this other person will will watch them tomorrow. And you and I would have, I feel like, would have no qualms if I was like, oh my gosh, I have an emergency, I have to do whatever, go to work or whatever. Can you watch my kids tomorrow? You would say, okay, yeah, of course, definitely. Or if you were like, oh, my my grandma kids off for dinner, I have to da 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 whatever. I'd say, yes, of course, come on in. So why is that different in a bigger picture? Why can't we use our tax dollars to provide childcare for someone else who needs it, or to provide dinner, put dinner on someone's table when they need it? Because I think, and I, I and I was as you were talking, this is what I was thinking. Because it doesn't community like that doesn't scale, and like the same like I think again with our bigger cities and all of these things. Of course, I'm not going to legislate that we like tear down all of our cities, but I think in my head and the way that I've seen it play out when it's administered, the larger it gets and it's by when it's administered by bigger and bigger organizations and then eventually like the federal government, it's missing that really key piece of community. And so it becomes mm-hmm. less and less effective the bigger and bigger we scale it, which is why I think it's not so much that these people don't deserve it. I just would rather it come from a situation where it was more relational and not from the government. Because I just feel like there's not enough community and relationship there to make it as effective as it could be, and I want to see it be more effective. But isn't that why we vote for our legislators? Like, we vote so that people from our neighborhoods, so that people from communities that we're familiar with, or but it's not, But it's not being administered in a way that creates community. Like, when you walk into a wealth, like if you've ever been to a welfare mm-hmm. office, like the people that are working behind the windows that are handing those people a check or helping them enroll in that system, they're a number. Like there's no, and they go by the rules. There's no nuance to like, well, like I might your DMV. Yeah, like, like and there's no nuance to like, hey, I have temporary extended family living with me. I need a little bit more this month. Okay, well, where's the proof of residence or whatever? Like because it's so big and there's no personal thing, there's, there's all these like, we have to add extra layers of, of laws and rules and to try to make sure everyone is doing it the right way because we can't trust that these people really 
there are people in the world that take advantage, and and so then slowly by slowly people start falling cracks, and I, I just feel like it would be that that helps that way that we support each other and we give each other meals and we give our you know a leg up and extra money and are better done in smaller intimate communities where we know the people and so and I, you can't just like I don't believe that we can legislate morality we also can't legislate relationship and community so it gets dicey. like I don't know what the end all be all answer is but I think these assistance things shouldn't be from the government state or federal like they should we should be doing things and supporting efforts that take into account things that aren't monetary that help people look at the whys of you know why are you still not holding a job or why you still have your problems why are you still addicted or so all those so i think the challenge with that is that if it wasn't legislated at the local state federal level then there'd be there are whole people it's not just the we use this example in like our neighborhoods or like our friend circle or whatever. It's in their entire population who have no childcare all day long, who need it for to go to their work, or have no food in their pantry or fridge ever. Right. And so, like, how's that community? I don't know, but we're also not. I don't think we're like. I don't think we're using our media well. We're not. There's a lot of things about being able to communicate that that's even happening. And so, how do we connect? Well, that's what we're trusting our legislators to do. And that's what we're trusting our legislators to to find experts and to rely on social workers and and people who who know the statistics that we're just who have experience in um, things like that to be able to allocate resources in a way that will that will help. But there needs to be the resources there first. And you gave your example of feeling the welfare office. What if there was what if there was enough? Like what if there was enough to feed everyone? Mm-hmm. Right, like, this is, but in that office, like, what if they had access to enough food to feed everyone? Like, just simple as that. Like, so how bigger government has gotten, there's just fine. So, what I can do when I—that's my idealism. But the way that I'm transferring that into reality is voting for legislators who have committed to increasing those assistance programs or increasing education programs to. Have who have committed to not criminalizing poverty or criminalizing things that that don't that don't empower people to find out their situation. So that's what I did. What do you think? Well, if I remember correctly, when um, I think it was W. Bush, his administration, one of the ideas he had or they had was to reduce the well the Social programs and rely on churches, and, but <laughs> I don't think they offered them any money. They would, we would expect, or they were expecting the faith-based communities to raise all the money and get all the help on their own. Now, on one hand, I think it's a, a it's a really interesting idea, possibly um, more effective idea to have those types of institute, like you call them institutions, because places. The one place that they really understand yeah. their client, their people, and um, the, the stigma's not the same, uh, you know. But to expect them to pick up all the all the pieces without assistance of any kind of any kind and on their own, I think that's unrealistic. But that, in my mind, would have had a better chance than some of the programs that they put into place with all these unrealistic. You have to do this or be this and not this and all that. So. I mean, if you want to transfer government resources, I think that would have been a, a better try than creating new programs because they're grassroots. I mean, they they know the people. They they probably see them every day. I mean, like our daily bread. They know who comes in and out every day. My sister's place, all those. You know, so it, it's just a, it's just a hard problem in this country. It's a hard problem in this country, and it shouldn't be. This is a rich country, and there's plenty to go around. But that's the crazy. The people don't want to share the don't want to share the resources. So to wrap up um, on a lighter note, again, well, maybe not, and a totally related note because again, I think social media plays into our conversation about community and what we know is authentic. Social media is a false community. It is. I think it is. It's a hard community. So and and it becomes an echo chamber so quickly, especially Facebook. And I'm not on any other platforms, but I know that the algorithms of Facebook. 
dangerous for me because I'm a perfectionist and I like to cover other people's Pinterest boards and their Instagram photos. If I was on Pinterest, I would fall in and then I know. So here's my fight against the social media is and Trisha and I spent a lot of time on the photo last podcast, but I asked every guest this now, what are you not doing? So I think on social media we see what everyone quote unquote is doing or would like to be doing because they're like interesting things. We assume that they're doing it on their Pinterest board or they're showing only pictures of their kids with like matching outfits and whatever. So what are you not doing that this month? I'm not dressing my kids in matching outfits, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> what am I not doing this month? I um we're we're doing very few um photos. I feel like I'm I'm like way behind the ball on my kids programming. I have like this like flurry of sign up for spring stuff because I feel like I'm not doing it bigger. Which is why I send my kids up in September for programs that last two weeks. I know I don't want to commit that much because if they send it they don't like it. But anyway, um so that's what we're just sitting around and watching like getting really invested yet. I don't know because I'm not. I don't use Facebook very much. I, I feel like she's not doing social media, which is really a good lesson for us all. No, the main reason I have Facebook is because I'm responsible for our school's Facebook page, and I, I, I needed to find. I needed to find out what's going on. Yes. <laughs> so I rarely post anything personal online. That's how I got into um, MySpace back in the day. Which was I was in youth and I needed to know what my you need, what the kids were wow. doing. Aren't doing Facebook, they're doing Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah. You know, the older people, not that you're old, but no, Facebook parents and grandparents. grandparents. Well, now there's Nextdoor, yeah. which is like a whole other yeah. like hornet's nest of crazy yeah. people commenting and getting into arguments online that are completely unnecessary. If you live in the country, your Nextdoor would sound like, did anyone see that random horse in the street the other day? Does anyone know who that belongs to? But then you would get a random somebody saying somebody's not taking care of their horse. Right. How dare they, they, they and go on? No, not in the country. That horse is that horse getting hit by a tractor? Like whatever. <laughs> not on our next. Not on our country next door. Ours is not that. That oh, or not that drama. Ours is nothing. But I don't even follow next door. I would have yeah. known that Benny was missing a lot sooner if I followed. <laughs> He's back, by the way. I know. He came I, back right after the last podcast, before the last podcast aired. Yeah, I know. I right. on the right. intro. Like, okay, good. He's been out. I'm out. Out. I don't know. He won't tell me. Uh, all right. Last one. Any great life hacks that you want to impart on us before we leave? Are you hacking your life in any good way? And test. <laughs> Buy sushi. Don't make it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that a hack or is that just a thing people do? <laughs> well, I have a cousin that makes her own sushi. I mean, good for her. I make mine on, I know. on Monday mornings. It's actually it's just as easy as making sandwiches. I know that sounds dumb. It really is. I will teach you. Let's talk about these dishes. <laughs> you got to make the rice. I mean, you got to make the rice before you can make the sushi. You have to make bread. Sandwich. Oh, you can make really good. I just had it. Well, I just got a jar. Oh, I got somebody else's starter. All right. Life hack. You don't have to start your own podcast. You can just piggyback on your friend's <laughs> podcast. True story. Well, thanks for being here, ladies. It was really fun. It was. It was good. We should do it more often. Yay. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You guys, at my house, we're recording in person, and no joke, there are usually nine people living here, and we did not get interrupted once. I scared everyone away. That happens every night. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. Love you, Tess. Love you, Trisha. Love you so much. Phew, I've come a long way, but there's a part of me that still hates debates like this. I don't always think well on my toes, and I thought of a ton of talking points after the fact. And actually, Patrick came home as we were wrapping up, and we kind of had part two of the conversation off the record. Which is really a shame because it was such a great conversation. It was kind of like that time after we recorded episode 7 and had an entire conversation about racism that didn't get recorded. 
I probably need to not press stop until Trisha walks out of the door next time. Anyway, we'd both love your voice in this conversation, which is obviously ongoing. We're both on Facebook, but I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at M.A. Corkum. You can tag your thoughts with the hashtag TheUncorkedPodcast. All the links for our social media or Shrek tickets, if you're local, can be found at the show notes page at www.thecorkums.com. If you're listening on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher and enjoy the conversation, please leave a rating so that other people can join us. As always, I really appreciate you coming back every week to listen, and I'll see you next time.